Hello, Muhlenberg. This is your host, Mercy Olajobi, on Voices Podcast. Voices is a podcast created by the Office of Multicultural Life at Muhlenberg College. The purpose of this podcast is to give a space to those in marginalized groups to speak up, express how they feel, and talk about issues they face in this world and on campus. Now I'm going to allow the panelists to introduce themselves. Hi, everyone. I'm Talia Hawkins, class of 2021, and I'm a psych major. Hello, my name is Jordan West, class of 2023, and I'm a psych major with a minor in dance. And I am here again, your host, Mercy Olajobi, class of 2021, and I am a business and theater double major. So today we will be talking about the topic of colorism. Well, first, I'm going to start off by defining what colorism is. Colorism is prejudice or discrimination against individuals with a dark skin tone, typically among people of the same ethnic or racial group. Our first question is, how does it exist within the black community? So how does colorism exist within the black community? Um, I can jump in first. So for me, I just feel that, you know, based on the legacy of slavery and, you know, how things were set up um, during those times, your skin color has been like our skin color has been used against us um, for many years. And I feel like even now, um, we feel as if we've come so far in terms of the opportunities we have as a community, as individuals, but we still feel that legacy and the fact that if you are of a darker skin, it seems as if you're, you're less than or you're looked down upon or you're not as capable of someone of a lighter complexion. So I feel that um, even though we're, we're told that we're pretty far removed from slavery, it, like you still feel the legacy and you, you feel the detriment of that type of system and those sentiments. Yeah, so I just wanted to like say that for colorism, I didn't really learn about it till later on in my life, but I feel like experience in the past really like made me understand what colorism is. Cause I feel like some like experiences and conversations I've had made me feel like my uh, my skin color was making me like feel less than others. Or, like I feel like I'm not as good. Like there were things being said like. Some people with hair or lighter, with lighter skin, they have good hair. And like with me, I like kind of wanted that hair at one point in my life because people were saying like that was good hair, or like everybody was saying talking about how the light skins like so so good. And that was like in a community in my middle school, and it was like 98% African American. And like these were like conversations that were being had, and those were like little kids, so it was like being instilled into what like what good hair is and like what's pretty and what's accepted so that kind of like had a lingering effect on me but I was able like to analyze it the more I got older and learned about colorism. Mm. Jordan I feel you 100% and for me it was the same thing in middle school going to a school that was actually predominantly people of color I felt in an odd way more accepted by the white students just because they seemed kind of oblivious to all these things like they were really just like okay, I'll make friends with you, or um, at least if there was any type of discrimination, you kind of saw it coming and knew how to prepare for that, but I don't know how you prepare a child for their own community to kind of treat them as less than, and I I felt that 100% being um, like the girl in the class that had the darkest complexion, um, I, I really felt that, and a lot of the bullying and stuff, although that is something that people tend to go through in middle school, I felt it the most when it came to the other black girls in the class who were mixed with, you know, like they were Filipino, Puerto Rican, um, white, any number of other ethnicities or races. And they definitely kind of targeted me in that way. And I think it affected me for a while until I learned that colorism is a thing. And then because I knew what it was, then I I knew how to protect myself against it. Mm. Um, I totally hear you guys. I both... Um, both of you. I went to a predominantly black and Hispanic school growing up um, my entire life, and I wasn't really informed on what colorism was. Um, Although just being a hyper-aware person, I like observed observed a lot of things, although not really understanding what colorism was till later in life. Um, And I feel like I haven't really grasped this full like scope of it until coming to like 
end of high school or early college, understanding how colorism really impacted our community and impacted the way that people saw um, black women, dark-skinned black men, dark-skinned black women. Um, and I like that you brought up, Jordan, the whole hair thing, because I think another uh, there are other branches of colorism, like texturism and featureism, that also comes into play. So I think this kind of leads to our next question. How does colorism impact you personally, which you guys have kind of gone into, or like within family, friends, and like culture? Because I know that also has a lot of influence on the way colorism plays out. So I feel like the way it affected me personally is I had to really learn how to like really believe in myself and be confident even more because I know I felt like I kind of know like what the world wants to see and like what's accepted because like you see it all over social media you see it all over like everywhere you see online like like what's accepted as beautiful and stuff so I like I had to really like reach out to other people that I'm close with too and like like reaffirm them that they look good and that they're beautiful too like my other like black sisters and brothers, you know, I, I, I try to, like, spread that love, too, so I feel like I have to, I don't know, try a little harder with spreading love to myself and others, because I know, like, how the world can, like, kind of tear you down. Yeah. And it's the same for me. I, I feel that, you know, being the type of person I am, I'm already sensitive to begin with, so um, on top of that, having colorism, texturism, and featureism, and all these different things, in our community and especially in my family, it's really evident. And I feel that all of those different things kind of coming at you at once, you have no choice but to be strong or you're gonna buckle under all of that. So for me, um, I have a lot of mixed people in my family. You know, Some people are um, Puerto Rican and black, some are uh, white and black. And I just found out recently through Ancestry.com that um, a majority of my family is from West Africa, but um, I even have, like, my great-grandfather, I think, is, like, half white, and my mom talked to me about the fact that um, that ethnic mixture, that racial mixture makes sense because of how poorly her mother was treated as she was growing up because, again, like, I, I felt, or I was the darkest in my uh, middle school class. My grandmother is the darkest out of her um, her sisters and uh, her brother. And they had um, their grandmother, like they all lived in the South in Virginia. So they would go over to their grandmother's house and the way my grandma put it is that she put them to work right away. But my grandmother was always doing the most work. And for me, you know, my grandmother died when I was six, so I unfortunately never got to really talk about these things with her. But talking to my mother, she was like, yeah, you know, like uh, we call her um, Gamma Charlotte is um, my great grandmother. So uh, my mother's grandmother. And she said, like, you know, she was a really mean lady. But also, too, she was very light. And growing up in those times, it's like the lighter you were, the more valuable you were. And then that colorism that we see now, it's like it, there was so much vitriol behind it. And my mom said like she you she never realized how mean people could be until she realized that uh this legacy of colorism and all that stuff it, it really can break families apart because it, it affected her as she grew up as well like she um my mother is lighter than her mother and my grandmother treated my mom very poorly growing up as well and a lot of times um it it had a racial undertone to things so you see how Number one, a lighter family member could devalue their darker family member. But also, too, you see that those who are lighter, they can be subjected to that same type of hate and vitriol from um, their other family members. So just in general, it, it really has a legacy in my family. And even to this day, Jordan, I totally agree with you that like I have to uh, give myself a lot of love. And when I look in the mirror, I have to... Um, really connect with the products I'm using and the makeup I use and all that to really feel like I'm worth anything. Um, yeah, I hear you and Jordan on that. Um, and the way I think that colorism and texturism and 
Featureism impacts our community is very like heartbreaking to hear people's stories and experiences. And for those, I just wanted to define real quick who don't understand what texturism or um, featureism is. Texturism fosters the idea that certain types of natural hair patterns are more desirable or more beautiful than others. So if you look on a type hair scale, it's usually one, two, three, four, A, B, C. Um, and it's to say that the closer you are to number one, the closer you are to A, then C, um, the more desirable your hair is. Um, featureism is when certain features that are closer to white is more acceptable than features that are closer to black. So um, now knowing what texturism and featureism, for those who aren't aware of that, you might have a little bit more info on what we're talking about here. Um, I've actually had a different experience growing up um, with colorism. Um, I grew up not really knowing or being aware of a lot of things like that just because I guess I was more sheltered and I grew up with a lot of my aunts and uncles just being very loving. Um, and I wasn't even introduced to the one colorist that was like in my family till like later. Um, growing up, I didn't really hear anything colorist from her. And if I did, I never really internalized it. Um, but it wasn't till like a year or two ago when she came over and an incident happened where she was trying to give me and my sister like scars because she just brings gifts with her. And she told my sister that um, she should choose a certain colored scarf because it suited her skin better because she was lighter than me. Um, and my sister, being the person that she is, obviously defended me without really saying much and said she would take the other scarf because in her head there was no way that a certain color scarf wouldn't look on me good on me just because I was dark-skinned. Um, and it's just like, for me growing up, I wasn't aware of it as much just because I hadn't experienced anything. And if I did, it would have been on a scale of a microaggression, something that is passive aggressive and not like directly in front of you. Um, today, nowadays, I wouldn't say that I've experienced colorism like blatantly either. Like it's, it's been more like undertone things like in behavior when you look deeper at the way that people may treat you versus someone else or anything like that. But I understand and see the impact that it's had in our community on other dark-skinned women and men. And it's heartbreaking. And I want to be part of the change that kind of changes the way that looks like in our community. Okay, so I think, um, you know, Mercy, what you said about your family kind of made me think of my family. And the fact that, again, like I never, when I was little, I never really knew what these things were. But now that I'm older, I realize that they were very apparent in my life. So between my mom and dad, my mom is a little bit lighter. I don't really know what to call her, honestly. She's not necessarily dark-skinned, but she's not really light-skinned either. So um, I don't know where she fits into anything, but my dad was darker-skinned. And I found that he made the most like racial comments to me, like he... Um, especially in the summer because I played softball and, we were, and I'm a pitcher. So it was just in the middle of the field. The sun is like blaring down on me. And my mom is just like, oh, sweetie, you look so good in your uniform. But my dad would be like, oh, look at you. Like you're getting so dark and this and that. And I'm like, you're my dad. Like if you don't treat me well, then how's the rest of the world going to treat me? And then that coupled with um, my experiences in middle school with like the other black girls. Oddly enough, the black boys didn't really um, do anything colorist. They were more just like, "Oh, like you? Do you like this video game?" Like I don't, you know. They, they. I didn't really feel anything like that. But it just reminded me the importance of, you know, people that have similar experiences as you sticking together, and how much it hurts when they don't. And um, I think in general, like a lot of times our community is like, oh, people who are non-black, like look at how um, anti-black they are. But um, I think, I guess on an individual scale, on a personal scale, but also on a communal, like a community scale, I think um, we benefit a lot from just kind of checking people in a loving way because we understand now um, that you know, there's a major, like, Africana studies. We can look at the legacy of these things. 
and understand that they didn't just come out of nowhere. So next time, you know, my dad's not here anymore, but if, um, like, another black individual were to say, like, oh, look at you, like, you're getting so dark, like, you're whatever, like, now I understand that it's not always as personal as I felt it was. Like, sometimes people, like, a lot of times they're going to act within the systems that they were brought up in. And for my dad, I think of his family, and they're also from the South. So now, instead of really holding that in as, like, my father not caring about me, now I see it as, okay, you know, like, what was he taught as a child about what he looks like? And, you know, my other family members, what, what were they taught in their town? Like, what, what, how was race treated? And, you know, things like that. Yeah, um, to add to that, I think that's, like, a, definitely a good way of looking at it because um, what, you know, talking about colorism is definitely a sensitive topic, um, especially when you're also discussing things like racism. I think um, as a black community, we're so we can be so easy to point out someone being racist or dealing with microaggressions and, you know, unfairness between other races. But a lot of times we don't look at our own race and the issues that we have here because you can't fight racism and then not fight colorism. It's very much counterproductive because it's something that affects you within the race. Like you can't be reunited as a race um, when you're fighting each other, but then telling everyone to fight the white man. You know, it doesn't make sense. Um, and I like identify as Nigerian American, and although I didn't grow up in Nigeria, I do know there is a colorism issue there. It's not as prominent as it is in America, just because in America you have a boiling pot of many people in different races, while in countries like Nigeria is predominantly mostly only black people. So colorism even there is not even a big big thing, although things like bleaching your skin and stuff like that is a big thing down there. Um, and I feel like that's just like a difference in culture and that can be like a different topic, but um, I know it's not as prominent back at home versus here. Okay, I think this can take us to our next question. How do we see colorism in the media and how does it influence the mentality of black people and society? Well, for the media, what first comes to mind is like how some people in movie roles, they were supposed to be darker skin, but they ended up casting a person that's lighter skin. I feel like that's a part of it, but also just like seeing TikToks, you know how TikTok is very popular nowadays. A lot of people are like drawn towards, I feel, I feel as though lighter, like lighter skin people, I feel like, and they're like praised and held on this pedestal and they get shown so much love but i don't know it's like dark skin or darker skin people they're not really like praised as much so like showing as much love in the media and i feel like it's kind of obvious to me and like i feel like when black people need familiar in the movies no familiar faces in the media it does something to them and that's like i was really happy about the movie black panther when they came out I watched that movie like ten times because I, it resonated so much with me, and it was like somebody who looked at who looked like me, and that like inspired me. So when I, but when I don't see people who don't look like me, it, it I feel like it does something to me. Like it's not really talked about, but it's just in the back of my head. But yeah, yeah, I agree, Jordan. And to it um, reminds me of. The fact that in cinema, um, colorism is starting to be talked about a lot more. And when you, I can't think of like a particular movie off the top of my head, but a lot of times you'll find that the villain tends to be like a darker skinned individual. And so, for example, Pose, that's not a film, but that's a TV series. And it's been praised um, as far as, you know, being progressive and, you know, talking about the uh, experiences of trans people and non-binary people. But even in that um, particular film, as is, is much praise as it got for, you know, being groundbreaking and talking about, um, like, the experiences that aren't really highlighted ever, um, it was also criticized because um, one of the characters is she's taller, darker, and, you know, she's playing like the, like the mean mother, basically. 
you know, and even though like she's such a um, such an iconic character just for, you know, what she stands for and how like they've all had experiences where they've been kicked down by the world and they have to get back up. But, you know, just seeing how poorly she treated um, all the individuals in her house, um, it, it just kind of stuck out to me that even though like they're all being praised as a group, like colorism still found a way to rear its ugly head. And, um, you know, I think that's why, you know, you mentioned Black Panther as like positive representation. I feel the same way about um, Brown Skin Girl by Beyonce. And like just seeing all types of, um, all shades of women, all shades of black women, Indian women, um, any anyone that's really like a person of color who identifies as female, um, that was really um, moving for me. And I cried when I first saw it, and I don't normally cry at things like that, but I think it just kind of brought all those feelings of people kind of kicking you down and making you feel less than to the surface. And, you know, I, I saw it when I was, I don't know, it was like recently, so I was probably like 20 or 21 or something. And even as a 20, 21-year-old, you know, the little like seven-year-old inside me whose, you know, father would um, pretty much like make fun of her skin tone. Like I, I didn't realize that all of those feelings were still there. So now that I, I'm understanding that, um, I think I see it more easily in other people and other situations. And when I see little um, brown skin or um, girls who were like darker skin, I really just want to give them a lot of love because I know they're they're probably going through the same things that I did when I was little. Yeah, I'm glad that you guys were able to say all of that and share like your experiences with um, colorism and how you see the media portray um, the community, especially dark-skinned people. Um, and I see it a lot too. Um, it's simple things from like when we were younger on specific TV shows like How I Met My Wife and Kids, how the black daughter was, dark-skinned black daughter was replaced with a mixed woman and how on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, the, the mom was replaced with a lighter-skinned woman again. Um, and like there's so many places where they could have casted a dark-skinned woman with a dark-skinned man or you know, represented us in the right way or the best light, and they chose not to. They chose a dark-skinned male with, you know, like light-skinned woman or a mixed woman um, and represent them in a more positive light and leave the darker-skinned woman to be represented in more of a, um, I guess, darker light. And I think one good example of this is Sylvie's Love. It came out last year, um, and the main character, Sylvie, was a lighter-skinned woman, you know, finding love with whoever she was with, but the one person that played, um, that AJ Naomi King played, was more promiscuous, and she was a dark-skinned woman. Um, and, you know, this conversation can, like, go on and on um, about the way that dark-skinned women are portrayed in the media um, of either being completely masculinized, um, or being very like promiscuous. Um, and I like that you said, Jordan, about Black Panther, how it impacted you mentally. And although I saw a lot of positives in the Black Panther, I saw some negatives too. Like I personally was bothered by the fact that there was a military of black women with scraped heads. Like that kind of imagery bothers me because it masculinizes those women. It takes out, you know, the softness and the beauty and the kindness that are in black women and, you know, makes them equal to men. And imagery like that, I also feel like influences the way that not only black men see black women, but the way that the rest of society see dark-skinned black women in not, like, in a negative way. Um, an imagery like that for me um, bothers me because, you know, I grew up all my life around dark-skinned women, and I know the different personalities and the different um, talents that they have, and to only see black women or darker-skinned people represented in a certain way that de either dehumanizes them or masculinizes 
dark-skinned black woman is very much offensive, you know? Like, I would want to see things like dark-skinned black women playing princesses and not a princess warrior who's completely all about activism, but is simply just a princess, you know? Um, like, I want to see us in other roles in light that isn't just, you know, masculinized or dehumanized. And when we talk about the media in terms of movies and TV shows, I think it also reflects on real life versus, like, Instagram. Um, like, Instagram, darkest skin is, like, praised in a way to, like, uplift us. But a lot of times I feel like it's fake because in reality, like, it's not given the same energy um, so I feel like a lot of things, even on social media, can be, like, very much fake. And I think a reflection of that shows more with, like you said, Jordan on TikTok, when um, lighter-skinned people or um, people of lighter complexion and looser hair are praised and get more views and get more tweets and go viral a lot easier than darker-skinned people just because, you know. And I, show, I see that it, like, reflects a lot in, like, other mediums than, than not. So... I'm glad you guys were able to share that. And I think, too, that um, reminds me again of how just important it is to know the legacy of these things. Because, mm -hmm. um, like, I'm fortunate enough to have a mom that grew up in, like, the 60s, 70s, like, at the height of the civil rights movement. And she was telling me how even in, um, like, her home, you know, the, these things were talked about as more of, like, you know, oh, by the way, like, you you know, you since you're growing up, since you're about to, like, go into the world, you know, here's what's going on. But it was never really directly referenced. Like, it was more like, okay, people might see you this way, or they might treat you that way. But she was never prepared to really deal with these things and, like, really look them in the face. But um, as she grew up as well, like, she... Um, you know, took it upon herself to learn, like, where do these things really come from? Like, why do these dynamics exist? And, you know, she taught me about um, all the stereotypes that um, were in TV shows and film and music and, um, like, the Jezebel and the Sapphire, the Mammy, like, all of, all of those. Mm -hmm. And just the fact that those things still exist, and she really saw the, um, the development of them, and then the fact that she points them out to me and she's like, yeah, love and hip-hop, like, it might be entertaining for a second, but then when you really see what's going on, you're like, oh my, oh my God, like, why, like, how is this still happening? Like, how are they so over-sexualized and so masculinized? And then we're just like, oh, haha, -ha, like, she, she slapped her, she threw a drink at her, that's funny. And, you know, for comedic purposes, it might be funny, but then once you're internalizing all of that, after a while, like, you might start to live your life that way. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I know, like, our parents' generation, like, they talk about, like, fast kids, like, especially fast girls. And I'm like, oh, she thinks she's grown, like, all of this. But, you know, now that I am technically grown, you know, I think of, like, okay, that child was a baby before. They didn't just get that way. What were they exposed to? Like, what, what did you allow them to listen to? What did they see? And... um yeah, just in general, like I, as we talk, I just realize how important it is to really teach your kids, like, hey, you know, you're not in a vacuum. Like, these dynamics are one probably going to outlast you, and two existed well before you were born. And here's why you need to know them, so then you you recognize them. And mm -hmm. me, as a young black woman, when I see how um, like we like heterosexual black women interact with heterosexual black men a lot of times we're both coming from a place of hurt and that's not really talked about a lot and it's not talked about how our dating and you know marriage and you know coupling activities i guess like we don't really talk about where they come from but then all we see is our present and our present is kind of painful and then um we're always taught to advocate for our brothers and you know advocate for our sisters and but at the same time, it's like it's, we're never really shown that we're also worthy of reciprocity. And it's okay to let someone advocate for you too. And I think as black women, that's where, like Mercy, um, you know, your comment about the, uh, 
the military of black women and Black Panther, like that just reminded me how black women are kind of born into a, an army where we fight for everyone. But then even when someone does try to fight for us, we're like, oh, okay, all right, like you, you can chill, you can relax. And it's like we're, we don't receive very well collectively. And then I think that's taken as masculine because we're, we're very much like, you know, I don't trust anyone because of things that happened to me and the things I've seen. And um, just in general, I think that's where femininity comes from is that confidence in receiving and that it's okay for you, like Mercy was saying, you know, to be a princess. Like, it's all right to not fight. It's okay to not have to be strong. Like, you, you're not weak if you cry. You're not weak if you're like, hey, I need help with something. Or can you just be with me as I go through these things? And I think as black women, if our mothers didn't have so much pressure on them to be strong, then I think um, we could really get somewhere. And the, um, my mom always taught me that av- um, advocacy and um, activism and things like that start in the home. Mm-hmm. But they don't always look the same. We don't always have to be holding a sign, even though there's a lot of power in that. Like sometimes you can hold a person and it'll mean just as much. Yeah, that's powerful, Talia. I think I'm glad you like continued that idea because I feel like that I sometimes I beat around the bush of what I'm trying to say without trying to say all of it. And I think you pretty much got there like simple things like when I see the militarization of black Turks and black women, you know, I think of modern day black women in the streets fighting for black men, but it's like the way that the media works, would they be fighting for us, you know? And I'm just personally, for me, you would never catch me in the streets activating activist type stuff because that's just not me and it's not going to be me and I have no reason to do that. I feel like I have no reason to do that as a woman. Um, You know, I feel like it should be men out there that are protecting us, men out there providing for us, men out there fighting for each other and not leaving it up to black women to do that for them. And I think because that happens a lot, black women are grown or groomed in a mentality of having to be strong, having to be more identified with their masculine side. And I think that's why a lot of us have difficulty receiving and have difficulty with expressing our emotions and feelings and just being open. And, you know, someone's trying to, like, that's why when you're in a situation where somebody's trying to fight you, you're not about to run. You got to fight back. And it's like, you don't have to because I, I surely will walk away, even if I'm seen as, like, not strong or something. So, and what? It's okay. I can walk away. I can choose to walk away. There's strength in that. Um, and I just think that the masculinization of black women ha- and sexualization of black women is very detrimental towards us more than we know. It's like in music videos, you mostly would see dark-skinned black women, you know, shaking and stuff. But, you know, why? there's other people who do that, too. It doesn't have to just be dark-skinned black women only representing that sort of imagery. And even in that, not all of us are like that. Not all of us will be at the club shaking. Like, some of us will be chilling. Some of us will be hanging out. Some of us will be singing the raps and stuff, but still be sitting down chilling. So, like, I think that... There has to be more fairness in the way that black women and dark-skinned black women are portrayed in the media so that it actually accurately accurately represents us. Um, So I'm glad that you were able to say all of that. Can I add something to what you guys are saying really quick? Of course. Yeah, so I'm like glad you guys brought up that because I was talking about Black Panther, but like I wasn't able to get that side. Like I have that idea because I was so proud of like seeing myself. But thinking about it this way, it kind of like opened my mind, and, like brought in my perspective, you know. And I feel like I can relate it back to my life because my mom, she's like very strong, very tough, and I feel like she was kind of forced to be that just by the way she grew up and all that stuff. She's a very strong and tough lady, but she also like taught me ways that are not so masculine and like taught me how to be more like calm and like soft and under understanding you know and like I feel like she was responsible for like both sides but it was crazy 
it was crazy that you guys brought that up because I was able to literally see that in the way my mom like was able to grow up and stuff. And I feel like so many other black women are in our world today are forced to be strong and really tough. Like they have no choice. And I feel like other people when they see that. I lost my I lost my chance. I lost my chance. You good? Take your time. Take your time. And I feel like when other people see that, that's the only thing they see. They don't get to see the other side, the more understanding side, the softer side. And they just run with that image when they don't know the full story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what, that's what I was going to say. And I would say that reflects a lot. I feel like <laughs> I've definitely balanced a lot of the things mentally in the way that I've like carried myself, um, especially like within my family, like. I've been like I've grown up this is more so me younger um and I'll get into like me now but me younger was like the caring mom like I took care of my little brother I took care of my little sister but I also defended both of them I advocated for them even my older brother you know I did the same thing for him so it's like if my siblings were to gather together and we were to say who would be the first person to have everyone's back and, you know, help each other and protect each other, it would be me, you know? Like, as the older sister, but as a dark-skinned woman, I have have the motherly figure of just, like, protecting everyone and, you know, defending everyone. But there's also... There has... There was also a... I guess an internalization, I guess a little bit of the strength that a lot, a lot of black women are forced to have in terms of like, you know, protecting everyone, being there for everyone. And not that I'm not that now, but like now I'm like more chill about it. Like I'll defend you, but I'm also, I'm, I'll also be chilling. And I think in some ways I did internalize the whole be strong um, but I feel like I got it more from the feminist idea of be strong versus realizing how black women are told to be strong. Um, so like when you think of things like getting in fights and stuff, um, people are told that, oh, you are weak <laughs> for not fighting or you are weak for not being able to stand up for yourself when certain things like that is it's okay to walk away from like you don't have to get into a fight to prove that you have strength and that you're strong like you can walk away from issues and situations like that and still be strong I guess within yourself okay so um I think a good example of this is growing up now looking back as a kid I more so internalized the the feminism um, version of, I guess, you know, advocating for women, you know, we can do this, I can carry the 50-pound box, I don't need a man, the type of, uh, I can save myself, I don't need a prince to save me type mentality. I internalized a lot of that, um, and I see the way that it's impacted black women now growing up, seeing how black women are have been masculinized and can't receive assistance or can't receive um you know sit in kind of like their womanly traits just because we've been mentally been mentally built and programmed to believe that we have to always stand up for ourselves we have to be the ones to protect ourselves which I feel like we should like we should protect ourselves but we don't have to protect ourselves by ourselves like we don't have to carry the 50-pound box if there's a man there that wants to carry it for you. Let him carry it, sis. You don't got to carry it. You don't have to lift a finger. Let the man do the work for you. Um, and I feel like those type of things I like internalized kind of in a way growing up. And it's funny because even though I was mentally internalizing that, I also wanted to be the princess. Like, I watched high school musical and thought of myself as Vanessa you know till this day I still see myself as that you know I saw myself as the little mermaid like singing and swirling around because (laughs) as funny as that is (laughs) I saw myself in that light and it's like I think thinking now as a a grown woman um looking back at that I saw how the whole masculine um internalization affected me but I also saw how 
you know, within myself, I was still very much, you know, like a girly girl, very much feminine and stuff like that. And I think it kind of reflected in a way that um, I interacted with my siblings where I would be the one to, you know, advocate for them and be like, mom, don't hit him, you know, like take the whipping myself. I'll take it. You know, don't hit my little brother, stuff like that. You know, I'll take it. You know, now you're going to get your ass whipped because you deserve it. You know, I'm not going to stand up for you and I'm not going to be there for you <laughs> because it's like, you know, like mercy will be here if mom and <laughs> mercy. <laughs> um, and I think the way that I, you know, deal with everything now is that mercy like won't do everything for you, but she'll be here for you when, you know, you need her. And it's like. My siblings, even if we were to sit down today and talk about the same thing, they'll still be like, if something happened and we needed someone, Mercy would be there for us. But it's like, I don't have to be, you know, masculine and, you know, you know, take on the man and female role of protect everyone. But, you know, I would be a mother to them. You know, I'll take my siblings under my wings and, you know, do what I have to do. But I don't always have to be strong. I can have... You know, my little brother still help out, even if he's younger than me. I can have my older brother do all the things that he needs to do, you know, as he's older and is a male. So I feel like um, there's definitely a balance to it. And I think that black women realizing that and realizing that they don't have to be strong and they don't have to do everything on their own will definitely help. Made us laugh, so I don't want to bring it back to like solemn. So, oh, uh, bring it back, bring it back. It's okay. Sure? Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I don't I'll mind. I'll try to make it a little brighter than it is. But, um, they just talk, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, Mercy, I I totally hear like your own like family experiences with you know feeling like you have to be tough, but also you want to be nurturing. And for me, because it's really just me and my mom, um, when we moved out of our house and into our apartment, you know, it, it's really just us as a team. So I, I felt like I had to do things my dad would normally do because now he's not here. But I remember she told me in the car, she was like, oh, like, why are you lifting that heavy couch? Like, you don't have to do that. And I looked at her, and that's the first time in my life and the only time that I ever really, like, snapped at my mom. And I got really emotional because I told her, I said, my father isn't here to help. So who were, like, you want a man off the street? <laughs> like, who, who's going to help? It's just us. And, you know, with her, um, like she has very severe arthritis, so she, like, she can't help physically. So it was really just on me. And in that moment that, like, I was 15 when my father passed, so I was 16 at the time we were moving out. And I told her, I said, there's literally no other man. So now I have to assume the responsibilities that he would fulfill. And I think in general, you know, all these things are always happening and all these dynamics exist, whether you really think of them or not. And, you know, talking to her literally two weeks ago about that experience, she said, yeah, when, when you said that to me, I could see, like, the hurt in your eyes. And not only were you just, like, stressed because we're moving, and I, I was also, like... You know, I, I took off from, not really took off from school necessarily, but um, we were about to go into spring break and I just left school like a little bit earlier and told them, you know, the reasoning why. And they said, okay, yeah, absolutely, go, go home. But, um, yeah, she said, you know, looking at that, she had to understand that my response wasn't to her as my mother, but just to her as a person. And the fact that I'm, like, I'm a teenager trying to understand Number one, how do you grieve a loss? But two, how do you find balance in all these different things? So now that I'm older, I understand that, you know, just, I guess being independent isn't masculine. You know, being independent means that, you know, quite literally there's no one else that can really um, step in and help you with whatever you're doing. And sometimes you just have to do it on your own. And I think, too, as people in general, but also black women in particular, since um, us and black men are the you know, topic of this conversation, mm -hmm. um, we're often taught that independence and um, assertiveness and all of that is all masculine, but it, it really isn't. And there's no, 
again, now that I'm older, I realize there's no reason to really gender that because pe- we're all in the world trying to survive. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're the only one that can really um, fulfill whatever duties you have or um, whatever you need. You're the only one that can obtain that. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, just, I thank you for bringing that up because it, it just reminded me of that moment. And again, how powerful it is to find balancing yourself because mm-hmm. a lot of times you're we're exposed to these different things and you don't know how to handle them so sometimes you might react emotionally sometimes you might shut down and we often judge people for stuff like that but we're all really just trying to find our way mm-hmm. okay i think that leads us into our last question what can we do to combat this the issue of colorism what can we unlearn and what can we do within the black community and beyond in order to quote unquote fix the issue of colorism that we see today? Honestly, this right here, what we're doing is like something that's combating it because I was able to get something from this podcast that I didn't really think about, like different perspectives and different things are brought up and and now I have something to think on and reflect on and try to like put myself in you guys' shoes and try to learn like how it is for you and you can learn how it is for me. So I've had conversations, you know, being the change, like not really just talking about it. So like showing love to yourself and like believing in yourself, you know, like not really like being all cornered up by yourself, like be yourself fully and like really understand that when we uh, show ourselves and be ourselves fully, we can inspire the next like person or next, next other black people looking up to us, you know, just, yeah. Snaps to that, Jordan. Snaps. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, just to continue that thought too, Jordan, um, trying not to bring other communities into our, the issues that our community is facing might also help because I think a lot of times there's too many dynamics going on at one time and you can't get to the root if you're talking about racism then you're talking about colorism, then you're talking about just general like socioeconomic inequality and all that stuff. Like we, we fight way too many battles at one time and it's okay to just focus on one thing. And I think like you said, just talking to each other and, and you know, saying like, this is where I'm coming from, where are you coming from? And this uh, makes me think back to what you said, Jordan, about Black Panther and the effect that had on you. What I took from that is that you, because you go through your own things as like a young black man, when you finally get the relief of being able to see yourself portrayed in a positive light on TV, sometimes, or in any other medium, sometimes that's so overwhelming that you can't really see from another person's perspective. So as Mercy and I were saying, like we, we also love the movie and it, it represented us positively for the most part, but there were still things where we could see the dynamics of, you know, like the masculinization of black women and things like that. But for you, because you're just so happy to finally see like a strong black man who was like honorable and, you know, really fighting for things and fighting for his people, you didn't really pick up on that until we mentioned it. And I think understanding in that context, now I, I realize how powerful it is to have these conversations because we might take your, you know, lack of, um, knowledge about or lack of awareness about where we're going through is like, oh, you don't care. You're only thinking about yourself. So then it makes me think of, in general, how many times are, and again, as you can tell, I'm really a question person. Like, I, I just ask myself a lot of things. But, um, you know, how or what is going on when, you know, we, we're facing these different things and we might have an instinct to be defensive and say, like, oh, like, you just don't care. But if it's something like representation, especially, it's like we're, although we're all black, we're being represented differently based on our gender, based on where we come from, our nationality, um, and different things like that. So it, now I'm, I'm less quick to jump to conclusions and say, oh, it's because you don't care, it's because you don't value us. And now I ask myself, you know, what, what does this repreta- representation look like for you? And you know, what feelings are being brought up within you when you see these things? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not to that, Tutalia. Um, 
to add to what has been said, I think a good way of combating this is pretty much being there for each other. And, you know, like you said, Jordan, having conversations like this that opens us up to other people's experiences and, you know, what they've been through. And even if you haven't been through certain of the things that we were talking about, knowing that these things do happen um, on many scale levels and recognizing that um, is also part of accepting, one, that it exists, and two, working towards making it better. Um, I think representation in the way that we're represented is a huge way of being able to change um, the narrative, to say. Um, You know, to put black women and black men Um, dark-skinned black women and men in a better light um, that is more favorable towards us and actually representative of who we are as people. Uh, I just want to say thank you guys for opening opening up to me about some personal things because I feel like it's not really easy to talk about like very things that's like so touchy like touchy subjects like that and I appreciate you sharing that with me and like being able to bring me into the space so I can learn. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Jordan. It was good having you here. Yeah, um, same thing. Thank you for having me on. And um, I know, like, as vulnerable as I feel right now, Mercy, you probably feel the same, Jordan, you as well. Um, I think the vulnerability that we're all showing right now um, will mean a lot to those of you listening because you'll you'll probably be able to relate, uh, relate to one of us, if not all three of us. And, um, you know, just to everyone listening, just know that, the more you talk about these things and the more you really reflect on what you're feeling, what you're seeing, what you're going through, um, the closer you get to you know, helping our entire community um, combat these issues and heal from all the hurt that we've experienced. So definitely brighter days ahead if we keep having conversations like this. So thank you all. Thank you, Talia. It was wonderful having you as one of our panelists here. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you, Talia, for being our panelists, for being vulnerable and coming here today to speak on our topic of colorism. If you are out there and you are listening in, take a deep breath in and breathe it out. I know there's been a lot of emotions, a lot of things coming up within your head and others, and it is okay. We are all hurt here, and we are all having these conversations in order to benefit each other, share, and heal. Again, this is your host, Mercy Olajobi, on Voices Podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Berg MC Life. Again, Voices is a podcast created by the Office of Multicultural Life at Muhlenberg College. The purpose of this podcast is to give space to those in marginalized groups to speak up, express how they feel, and talk about issues they face in this world and on this campus. Reach out if you are interested in becoming one of our panelists on one of these topics of conversation. And if you have a topic that you want us to talk about don't be afraid to fill out our google form in your emails and send in a topic again it was nice to see you guys today have a great day meals